Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. So we continue this week with this high priestly prayer. As you're turning there, I will give our weekly update of remodeling here in the sanctuary. Hope you're enjoying the, uh, the new pews. Uh, not new pews, but covers, cushions, all of that. I've been told they're a little softer than they used to be, so hopefully that's the case. If you're hoping to take a nap, uh, it should be a little easier for you over the next few minutes. But uh, the stage was staying this past week. There's still a lot of work to be done with that. So it'll be a few more weeks until we're back up on top. And new carpet, I don't think will be here next week, but should be coming the following. So continue to pray for all of those things. All right, let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word from John 17, verses 12 through 19. Jesus said, while I was with them... I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask his blessing upon his preached word this morning. Father, as we turn now in our worship uh, to this time of teaching, Lord, our hope is that you will truly be our heavenly teacher. Through that power of your Holy Spirit this morning, would you affect our hearts? Would you change us? Would you open our eyes to see the glory that is true because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he loves us? Because your grace is real, would you affect our lives today? And we pray this all now in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, We do pray for our college students and our campus ministers this morning. Uh, Such a history that we have here at TCPC and being in a university town like ours, our church has a huge heart for college students and for college ministers. So if you're here this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. But you need to know there's another group within this uh, movement of college students that really need a little bit of attention this morning, and that is the parents of all of you college students. Can I get an amen? Now that Lisa and I have taken our baby to his freshman year of college over these past few days, this topic has been on mine a lot recently. Do you know what parents think when they drop their kids off for college? Some of you know exactly what I mean even as I ask this question. Parents tend to think questions like this. Have I done enough? Have we prepared them enough? Are they actually ready to enter into this new and maybe crazy place that is the university campus? Will they have enough to eat? How much does this actually cost anyway? Are the professors going to brainwash all of them? Do they know how to do laundry? They've never done laundry before that I'm aware of. Do they know how to do it now? 
and questions like this. And of course, will they pursue the Lord while they're no longer at home? All of those things go through the mind of a parent at this time of year. I have a good friend a few years ago who told me the night before they took their son to college, he had nightmares all night long, crazy things of all the stuff that might happen. Here's the thing, at some point though, parents just have to leave them and trust and hope that they are prepared for what is before them. This is true if a kid goes to college or whatever, at some point there's gonna be a transition into adulthood. But here's the point, it's hard. It's really hard to say goodbye. It's hard to leave. It's hard to drop them off. It's hard. Even though we know they will never mature until it is time for them to go out into the world and do their thing, it's still hard to do. Until they take the training that they have received and attempt to implement it, whether they succeed or fail, there comes a point where the transition takes place. Now, in our passage this morning, we're going to see a very similar dynamic And that is that the people that Jesus loved, the people that he knew, the people that he trained, his adopted brothers, those that he spent time with, his disciples he had been with for three years, it was time for him to leave them. It was time for him to find out if they were going to take his message and do with it all that he had intended for them to do. It was time for him to release his disciples into the world. More than just leaving, it was time for them to engage. It was time for them to be the people that God had made them to be. It was time for them to do all that he had equipped them to do. It was time for them to leave what was comfortable and enter into this crazy world. And guess what? For Jesus, it wasn't wasn't easy. It was hard for him. If you notice in this prayer, there's an element in his heart Are they really ready? Have they learned all that they were supposed to learn? Do they understand the danger that is in front of them? These are real questions. And as Jesus had these questions, notice that he prayed. He didn't just ponder. He didn't just think about them. No, no. He reached out to his father in prayer for these people whom he loved. Look back at John 17. And this is our third week. As we look through this high priestly prayer for the month of August, we have seen that Jesus prayed for himself already. He prayed that he would finish his task, that he would bring glory to his Father by completing the work he was assigned to do, which was to go to the cross. Last week, we saw that Jesus prayed for the disciples to understand their heritage and the common background that they had so that they would now be one together, that we would be one, and that this world would know that Jesus is real because we're one. And now today, as we listen in on Jesus' prayer, as he cries out to his Father for the disciples, for them to be equipped to fulfill their task, here's the question before us. What do Jesus' prayers reveal about this world in which we live? This world in which we have been sent into, what do we need to know about that? As Jesus prayed for us inside of this world, what do we need to know about this world in which we find ourselves, this world in which we are called to engage? I want us to see three things from our passage this morning, and this is for Jesus' prayers for those in this world. First, I want us to notice our conflicted home. Secondly, our constant challenges And then lastly, our committed Savior. 
Conflicted home, constant challenges, committed Savior. My prayer for us this morning is that may God reveal to us the glory of Jesus. And may Jesus' glory be known throughout this world. First, look back at verses 12 and 13 and notice this conflicted home of ours. We see here that Jesus is praying. He is preparing for his departure from earth back to heaven with his Father. And it's clear that the disciples had been well guarded. They had been well protected. They had all that they needed from Jesus when Jesus was right there with them. All except, of course, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, and that was prophesied in Psalm 109 and validated Jesus' teaching even more. And beginning in verse 13 and seen throughout this section of the prayer, Jesus refers to this, quote, world in which we reside. And he repeats again and again and again the same thing, and that is this. They do not belong to this world. They are not of this world, just as I, Jesus said, is not of this world. This concept is clearly important as Jesus repeated it time after time to his Father in prayer. The world is repeated throughout this section. The disciples, and thus us today, are not of this world. So if we are not of this world, where do we live? What is true of us now if this world is really not our home? Where are we? What exactly are we doing here if this is not our home? I think it's important to note here the term which Jesus used. When he prayed about not belonging to the world, he did not use the term earth. Thus, the world in which he has in mind here is not referring to our physical location as much, I believe, as the spiritual reality that is all around us. When the term world is used in Scripture, typically it is referring to the idea of everything that is opposed to the kingdom of God. That is the enemies of his law, the enemies of his reign, the enemies of his kingdom. Thus, the world is the spiritual realm of Satan and all of his demonic activity, which exists in opposition to the mission of the church. So here's the scenario for the followers of Jesus then and for the followers of Jesus today. We live here on this earth, and our Savior is in heaven. He is our king, he is our leader, and someday he will return here to this earth and bring heaven with him. That is our hope. Until then, though, we live in this place which is opposed to everything he is about. There's a system which exists that is opposed to the system of heaven. The world, which Jesus says we do not belong, I think is best understood in this Genesis 3 passage that Luke just read. And it includes the reality that there is opposition to us. The world, it is the ongoing process of taking God's truth and then in some way twisting it to make it a little bit easier for us to like and tolerate. That's what the world does. In the Garden of Eden, the enemy questioned the legitimacy of God's command, resulting in the belief and practice opposite of God's revealed will. This has been the system in motion from then until today. And we see this reality throughout our culture, which begs the question, 
How are we to live here? How are we to understand this earth? How are we to understand this life where we constantly have this conflict going on all around us? Our true home is this, that we live by faith in Christ here on this earth. And Jesus is in heaven, and we are here, and that conflict defines our reality. So understand this morning, you and I are constantly, let me say it again, we are constantly surrounded by voices and actions contrary to the voice and actions of our God in heaven. This is our reality. This is us. This is what's going on. I've always been infatuated with the Appalachian Trail. I don't know if you're familiar with the Appalachian Trail. It, it goes from Georgia to Maine all the way up. You can through-hike it maybe in six months or so. And I've always wanted to do that. Where I grew up in East Tennessee on a clear day, I could look up and see the mountain range where the Appalachian Trail was and had heard stories of people doing this. A couple of years ago, I told Lisa, for my 65th birthday, I want two things. I want to sign up for Medicare and I want to start the Appalachian Trail on the exact same day. So this has always kind of been in the back of my mind. And of course, she laughs at me. I've never spent a night on a trail anywhere. However, because I was intrigued by this, I started listening to a podcast of an older guy who had never done anything like this. And he podcasted his way all the way through. And I was dialed in and I was all about it. Until he mentioned this section in Pennsylvania, which was known as Rattlesnake Alley. I got to be honest, I, I don't really like rattlesnakes. And then he mentioned the people that he met along the trail and the friendships that he made, and all of them had nicknames that were really strange. And he mentioned that some of these people even wore costumes as they hiked. And I was like, I don't think I really like weird people walking around in the woods at the same time with rattlesnakes. And then he talked about the sicknesses that he encountered because he didn't get his water purified enough. And I was like, listen, I'm out. I, I had no interest in this at all. You see, the idea of me wanting to hike the Appalachian Trail and enjoy all of that, the scenery, the sounds, all of it, it sounds great, but it's conflicted. What's real is different than what I want it to be. So here's my question for you this morning. Are you aware practically in your day-to-day -day life that there is a vortex drawing you away from the goodness of the Lord's kingdom into something that is opposite of his kingdom. While we live here, we are conflicted. We know what is true, and yet there is a system that is opposed to everything we believe. In our liturgy this morning, we had these questions of our repentance. One of them was this. Do you renounce the ways, the idols of this fallen world that oppose God and his kingdom and his glory? And we answer that we do. That is our reality. We live in a conflicted world. Our Savior is in heaven and he is returning here. Until then, we give his glory. But there is a battle for us. All right, second thing to consider here that was on Jesus' heart for his disciples as he prayed. We've seen our conflicted home, but now consider our constant challenges in this world. Our constant challenges for those whom Jesus is leaving and for us who await his return. 
There are certain things which occur inside of this conflicted world that we must be aware of. And they all have to do with this world in which we are surrounded. But I want you to see, and don't miss this, that yes, we have challenges and yes, they are difficult. But one of the most important aspects of this is that Jesus does not want us out of the world. We don't belong to it, but he has us here. There's no mistake there. As we live inside of this conflicted world, we really are giving his glory. He has us right where he wants us. In verse 18, he has sent us here. There's no mistake about where we are. We just need to be aware of what our life is going to be about. Notice three things here in which we need prayer because of this world. First, notice in verse 13, there is a battle for our joy. I hope you see this. Jesus prays to his Father that they may have, quote, my joy fulfilled in them. Of all things, why does Jesus ask his Father to give us joy? Seriously, of all that we might need, why that? And I think the answer is obvious when we embrace the reality that we live in this conflicted world. What is joy? What is it? We discussed this all summer as we looked at the Psalms of joy and thanksgiving. Will Witherington, when he preached on Psalm 1 at the beginning of summer, he said joy was perpetual happiness regardless of the circumstances in our life. And it's not circumstances that can be good or bad that affect our joy. It's joy because Christ is on his throne and he loves us. You see, joy is something you receive from God that would not exist otherwise. It is his gift to us as we live in the fallenness and brokenness of this world. As I meditated and studied this passage this week, I've got to say, as a pastor, but, but just as a Christian myself, I am so glad that Jesus cares about the joy that is in our heart. His desire for us to have joy drove him to pray for us. You see, our Savior knows us so well that we are surrounded by brokenness and pain and sickness and disappointment in ways that come new every single day. And he is aware of it, and he does not want us to lose our joy because of it. He knows without his spirit inside of us, despair is all we have. You know, I love taking personality tests. I enjoy all those things. Myers-Briggs, whatever. I'm an INFJ. There are a handful of us here. We're all sad, but we understand the ways of the world. You need to know, joy is not a personality trait. Joy is God's gift to us in the midst of a chaotic life that can change moment to moment to moment. Do you know that Jesus prays for your soul to be happy today? Jesus prays for that. In the midst of whatever you are facing, joy is his prayer for you. Second common challenge. It's hard to be joyful. Second common thing. Notice this battle for his word. Look at verses 14 and verses 17. Verses 14, he gave his word to us. Verse 17, he sanctifies us with his word. You see, his word, the Bible, contains all the promises for us that we need to know of him and what is true of him and our obedience unto him. 
from creation until the fulfillment of the Garden of Eden when Jesus returns and his glory is everywhere. Within his word, our souls are reminded of these stories, of these promises. Our lives are changed by the reality of his word alive inside of us. I think there is a reason when Joshua took Moses' place to lead Israel, what God told Joshua was this. He said, do not let this book of law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. The word, the Bible. You see, our joy in the battle that exists in our hearts for joy is connected to our engagement in his word. Our worship service this morning, it really is a combination of singing and praying and confessing and hearing God's word. It's how he speaks to us. So see the connection this morning and do not miss this. Jesus gives us the word and then guess what happens? The world hates us. That's the result. You love the word, the world will hate you. So guess what our temptation at that point is going to be? It will in some capacity be to lessen God's word in our life to reduce it, to question it, to combine it with something else, or just to ignore it. So now you know, Jesus prays that you will love his word. That's his prayer for you today, that you will love the Bible. You know, there is a shameless plug here I'll offer. It's not hard for a pastor to do this. As we're getting ready to start Sunday school in the fall. Pick out a class and go to it. And listen to God's word more and more. Get as much of the Bible as you can. It's good for our souls. So in this world, there's a battle for our joy. There's a battle for the word. But then lastly, and this has to be addressed because Jesus prayed it. Notice in verse 15, we have a common battle against evil. More particularly, we have a common battle against the evil one. Jesus' plea here could not be more clear for the disciples. Yes, he wants them in the world. He does not want them to leave the world. And he wants God's powerful protection while we are here. Question, what can this evil one do to us? What can the evil one do to the friends of Jesus? Why do we need protection so much? What is the threat? What's the danger? What would happen if this prayer is not answered? Again, I think the answer is right in the text, and it's related to the work of the word. You see, our enemy, the evil one, Satan, our common foe, does not want us to be sanctified in his truth. You know what Satan wants for us? He does not want this world to be conflicted. He wants us to enjoy the ways of the world now. Another way of simply saying it is, he does not want us to battle sin. He wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to come to church and not deal with the word so that we can enjoy life in whatever way is easiest. That's the issue. You see, if we accept the way of the world as normal, then we are conformed to the world And Jesus' kingdom is ignored and his glory is not known. And friends, this is so important to Jesus. He prays for us. So therefore, this slide must be so easy. 
Again, Jesus, before he died, prays for this very thing. He prays against what our enemy wants for us. As I thought about this and prayed about this, I could only think the draw of the world must be awfully strong if it drove Jesus himself to pray against it. So let me ask, are you engaged seriously and actively in asking God to deliver you from evil? Because Jesus is asking his Father for that. We'll pray in just a moment with the Lord's Prayer again that Jesus instructed us to pray this very thing. Thus, this battle is real. This is real life. This is our real spiritual enemy. We are to pray against him. We've seen our conflicted home here. We've seen the challenges which we face. But then lastly, let's close with this. As we live inside of this world, see our committed Savior. Look back at verse 19. And as Jesus prayed, I think we see something strange here. And I hope you caught it. See, Jesus not only prays for our sanctification, we would expect that. But he also prays for his own. In the ESV here, it says consecration, but that word consecration and sanctification are the, are the same root word in the original language. You see, to be consecrated or to be sanctified is the work of being separated from that which is normal in order to do something even greater. For us to be sanctified means that God separates us from the world. We fight sin because the world loves sin. We fight against it. Thus, we're separated. We're sanctified. Clearly, this is God's goal for us and part of the prayer of Christ. He wants us to mature in his word. But friends, does Jesus need to be sanctified? Did Jesus need to be consecrated? How does he need to be changed? Surely he was not growing in righteousness over time like we are. No way. He was the the sinless Savior. I want you to see here. The beautiful mystery which gives fuel to our lives. For Jesus to be consecrated was the act of him being separated. Not from this world, but into this world. It was an act of him being separated from his father. Not from sin, but from his father's side where he had been for all of eternity prior You see, him taking on flesh and blood and having a body like ours was not normal. His separation from his throne in heaven to come and live here into this mess, this was his consecration. To enter into the madness of this world was him being separated from his place as the heavenly king. While longing, yes, in verse 5, to return there, he was consecrated. Do you see his motivation? Do you see why Jesus did that? Do you see why Jesus was willing to be consecrated? It was for us. Jesus left his home. He separated himself from his father so that he could have you and me. Apart from him going through this separation, we could not be with him. So I ask you this morning, how badly must Jesus want us? As he prayed... 
He was being prepared for the coming hours in which this consecration would intensify beyond what we could ever imagine. Worse than even this world could ever produce. While our Savior hung on the cross to receive our punishment, he would not only be separated from his Father physically, but there would be a spiritual separation that was unlike anything ever imagined. When the Son would cry out in prayer, not even to his Father at that point, but simply, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was separated from his Father Jesus was forsaken by his Father for us so that we are here, that we belong to him, that we are in his family. Friends, do not resist the sanctification that is taking place in your life. Embrace it. Praise God that he is changing us. He is with us. He is making us more like him. He is preparing us. His prayer is for us. Will our kids really be ready to leave home? Probably not. Who knows? We hope they will. Are we ready to live in this world in the name of Jesus? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We live in a conflicted world, and there are significant challenges, but guess what? Our Savior prays for us. He prays for us today. Your Savior loves you. Let me close now in prayer. I'll transition us to the Lord's Prayer, and then we will come and feast with the one who loves us. Oh, Father, as we consider life in this world, we long for heaven, we long for the glories of heaven, we long for the day when sin will be no more and the curse will not exist, and all of the glory of Jesus will be here and we will know it. Until that day, Father, we need the strength that only you can provide. So, God, we pray that you would do that. And now we pray, oh God, as you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This day, our daily bread, there's our spreads, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.